Good morning. We are grateful that you are here this morning. It's good to be together. Our number is down a little bit, and we're certainly um, sad to think that we're already kind of entering the time uh, again where it's the fall and the winter and sicknesses are coming around, and we want you to be here every time you can, but we know that certainly if you uh, don't feel well, we want you to stay home and not spread anything, and we know there are a few in that situation this morning, but we're blessed by being here, and we're thankful that you are here. We're thankful to Charles for leading our singing, and we're always thankful when our brother Jeff can lead us in prayer as he does so in such a, a beautiful manner, but especially to our brother Robert for his thoughts this morning. The only problem with what Robert said was that he's going to uh, make himself have to teach a class pretty soon. He does such a good job. Uh, I'll put the public pressure on him here from the pulpit, and uh, tell you, we need to get him in a classroom and get him teaching uh, certainly someone and certainly maybe our young people, uh, but we're thankful for his preparation and, and for that. Uh, Robert, of course, I'm just appreciative anytime anybody's listening to what I have to say, you know, and willing to reference that. My kids sometimes give me a hard time. I don't know if they pay any attention at all. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Last night we had a youth devotional for our kids. We were thankful to, to get them together and have that. And they played a game where everybody sat in a circle in a chair, and uh, there's one person in the middle, and uh, so there was just a chair for every person. You called out, you know, if your your birthday's in January, then anybody who's in January, you know, they got to get up and, and change seats, and the person in the middle tries to get one, and whoever's left and has to do it again. If you're wearing tennis shoes or whatever, so uh, Clayton got up, and I went over and I whispered in his ear, say, if your favorite preacher is Joel Danley, you need to swap chairs. I forgot to see which one of my kids got up or which one stayed in their seat, but a few got up, so I was thankful uh, for that. But, uh, you know, you never know. You're humbled sometimes by when you realize if anybody's actually paying attention or not. But hopefully you have for the last few weeks uh, as we have been looking at a study of parables. And if you have your Bible, you want to be looking in Matthew chapter 13 this morning as we begin Looking at Matthew chapter 13, I do want to make mention, I forgot last week, the ones who were here on Sunday night, I made the joke that uh, last Sunday night we talked about hell and the word hell and the way it's used in the Bible, and I forgot to give a little preview. You may notice if you have your bulletin in front of you already that we're going to talk about the idea of karma tonight. Some people may look at that and say, well, why would we spend time talking about that? That's uh, not a, a biblical subject, I don't think. But I'd like for you to come and consider that with us together. I think it helps for us to consider things sometimes that the world has to say, ideas that the world has. And so we want to uh, consider what maybe the Bible does say or doesn't say with this idea that people use sometimes of karma. As I said, for the last month or so, we began a series that I didn't intend to. On August 1st, we had our vacation Bible school and we had planned to talk about parables. We introduced parables that morning. We talked some about the general ideas behind parables, that they are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, as we oftentimes say, to help us understand certain things. We mentioned the fact that they are almost a third of Jesus' teaching, and that there are 30, between 30 and 40, depending on how you count, uh, parables that are mentioned on the pages of the New Testament. And they serve several purposes. Oftentimes they were memorable to help us remember a, a particular thing. We think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's still preaching sermons today as we even have laws that are called the Good Samaritan laws. They were used to answer questions. Sometimes somebody would say, hey, Jesus, I've got a question. And he would answer by telling them a parable. They were also used at times to reveal truth. Even as we're going to talk about this morning, parables would reveal certain things about certain biblical, spiritual principles. But parables are interesting because sometimes they concealed truth. And, and people scratch their head at that. They don't understand. But, you know, some folks, when they ask questions, they were wanting to know. They wanted answers. 
So Jesus would speak in a parable and it would reveal a truth to them. Other times people ask questions because they were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to question him in order to take what he said and twist it. So thus sometimes parables were used to conceal truth from those who would twist their meaning. We've talked for several weeks now about many different parables to help us understand what Jesus is trying to mention or trying to get us to understand. And this morning we want to look at Matthew chapter 13 because it's been called a class. And a class being called Parables 101. You know, it's in Matthew chapter 13. If you have your Bible open, you'll look in verses 10 through 17 and notice that Jesus gives the purpose of parables. They ask him, why do you speak in parables? And he answers them and begins to explain that. We don't have time to look at that in depth this morning, but we see that it begins with the parable of the sower. And in fact, there are seven parables that are mentioned here. In verse, uh, beginning in verse number one there, verse number three, he begins with the parable of the sower. We go down to verse 24 and he gives the beginning of verse number 24 lays out for us how important this chapter is. It says there's another one. Verse 31, another one. Verse 33, another one. And then you even go down to verses 44, 45, and 47, and he says again and again and again. Seven parables are mentioned here that give us all kinds of great information. The parable of the sower talks to us about hearts. And truth, it is as it is sown into the hearts of man. The wheat and the tares begin in verse 24 with the idea, of course, that evil exists. The weeds do come up and that the Son of Man will one day judge. He will one day separate. There's the parable of the mustard seed about the idea of the kingdom beginning in a small fashion. As we think about that it does in Acts chapter 2. And then the parable of the leaven. We think about the kingdom being almost silent, if you will, in some cases, but effective. Very influential. And yet not by might. It was not an a army that was going to come and going to rule the world as some people would think. We're going to talk about the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price this morning, but then he concludes even this chapter with thinking about the dragnet or the idea of the great separation of the good and the bad. In Matthew chapter 13, we see that Jesus begins this master class, this parables 101 with a public discourse. He goes out onto the water into a boat that is anchored nearby and he turns around almost probably to speak to the shoreline. To all the people who are gathered there, he begins this chapter in a public discourse, but he concludes it with a private interview. You notice in verse number 36 that he sends the multitude away they come into a house, and his disciples are going to ask him a question or ask him to explain, and then he is going to then go into a few more parables here after he gives the ex explanation of the parable of the wheat and the tares. So this morning we want to focus for just a few moments on two of those parables, the parable of the hidden treasure in verse 44 and the parable of the pearl of great price in verses 45 and 46. You recall verse 44, he says, again, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Think with me for just a moment about a little bit of, uh, of background here. Think about the fact that, that a hidden treasure was the way to go. There were no banks. 
There were no safes, as we think about today, maybe sometimes where, where their money could be kept safe. In fact, there was often danger associated with having money. There's a possibility, of course, if a person has money that they're not going to want to carry it on their person, right, for fear of being mugged. Do you remember in Luke chapter 10, in verse number 30, Jesus tells another parable, and he says that there was a man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves. He was mugged. That probably happened quite often, so you didn't want to carry it on your person for fear of being mugged. You didn't want to keep it in your house. You remember Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 19. Jesus talks about fearing those, those thieves who would break in and steal. So maybe your house is not the best place to keep it sometimes. And yet, do you even remember the one talent man? In Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 18. The one talent man takes his talent and he buries it. He hides it. So it's not uncommon for to think about that someone might hide something of value. And we find this man who finds this treasure in a field, and he hides it, and he goes and sells all that he has, that he may buy that field, and then that treasure, that hidden treasure, would be his. Then we move on to verses 45 and 46 again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The pearl of great price. It's easily understood. Obviously, the folks there understood the concept of pearls. You remember Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 6? Jesus would talk about, talk about pearls before swine. They understood the value of pearls. They were of great value. In fact, it's said that, that Cleopatra had a couple of pearls that may have been worth almost $400,000 each as we kind of translate time and money. They knew that pearls were of great value. Think about the fact that they were harder to acquire at, during that time. So thus they had more value than other things that might have been easier to obtain. The pearl of great price. This man who is seeking pearls finds it, goes and sells all that he had, and he buys it. I, I mean, I didn't count the words, but, but three short verses, two parables. What could we possibly learn or glean from this? Before we make application at the end of our lesson, let's think about a few similarities and then at least one difference. One of the similarities that we see between these two parables here is the idea of finding value. Finding value in the things that are there and not just finding value in anything, but in particular, Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is of great value. We think about Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. There in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the fact that we should not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. We referenced this a few moments ago. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves cannot break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, the kingdom of heaven is worth more than any earthly wealth that we could find. We think about Galatians chapter 6 and verses 7 and 8. Galatians 6 and 7 and 8, we notice that the value of the kingdom is worth more than any earthly pleasure. Jesus, excuse me, Paul says here, Galatians 6, 7 and 8, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to flesh earthly pleasures will out of the flesh reap corruption but he who sows to the spirit 
will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. We find value in the kingdom of heaven that it is worth more than any earthly wealth. We find value that it's worth any, more than any earthly pleasure. It's also worth more than any popularity. We think about Romans chapter 3 and verses 3 and 4. Romans 3, 3 and 4. Paul would say, For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. God forbid. May it not be so. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. You see, the value that is found in the kingdom of heaven, it's worth more than any earthly wealth, worth more than any earthly pleasures. It's worth more than any popularity that we can imagine. These two men here, these two folks, find great value in what they obtain in these parables. But as Jesus is making the point that it is just like the kingdom of heaven or it is like the kingdom of heaven, then we must find the value there. And we see from these other passages that we've examined, even in this short time, that there is great value in that kingdom. Number two, we see that there's sacrifice that is made, that we have to make sacrifice. In fact, this principle of making sacrifice is unmistakable and it's unavoidable. When you read these two parables, you cannot miss that both of these folks make a great sacrifice. Both of them sold all. I have the New King James in front of me. As usual, it's the end of verse 45 and the end of verse 46. They went and sold all. Do you remember the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, verse number 21? There's a contrast there. These guys go and they find such value that they make the sacrifice. They sell all. The rich young ruler said, I hear you, Jesus. I hear what you're saying, but I just don't know that I can part with all. I don't know because I've got so many things that I can give up all. For us, what must it be that we sacrifice? What must we sacrifice? Is it the human traditions we know in Matthew chapter 15 verses 6 through 9 Jesus says in vain they worship me teaching as doctrine the commandments of men you see it I know you do Buford and I talked about it for just a moment after class before service started about the fact that it's so hard to reach people sometimes who don't want to give up the doctrines of men the commandments of men that they've heard all their lives what sacrifice do we have to make when we find that that is of such great value? Is it giving up human traditions? Possibly. Is it giving up our family? In Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, excuse me, Matthew 18, Matthew 18, 34. I've got the wrong scripture written down here. Now I'm going to have to find the right one I was talking about. When Jesus talks about giving up family, he who loves father or mother more than me. And I'm sorry, I wrote, I've got the wrong passage written down here. Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, 34 through 37. Jesus says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. He who loves father or mother, verse 37, more than me is not worthy of me. Do you need to give up your family? Again, I think that goes right back to what Buford and I were talking about. But sometimes people are so ingrained in something, they do not want to give up something here. They do not want to 
make sacrifice. What about the possessions? Sometimes we may need to give up our possessions. Matthew chapter 19, again, 20 and 21, the rich young ruler. Jesus talks about forsaking all, giving up those possessions. He wouldn't do it, at least not at that moment. Do we struggle with that as well? Maybe sometimes it's our career. We think about Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Paul would go in Philippians 3 there and list the things that he had. He had accomplished so much. He said, I have got the list. Nobody is above me in all of these earthly ways. But he goes down later in Philippians 3 there and says, What things were gained to me, I counted for loss for the sake of Christ. That's what he was willing to do. We have to make sacrifice. Both of these men went and sold all. What do we need to sacrifice? Is there something that we need to sacrifice? But we see that as they make sacrifice, number three here in this particular point, they had joy. In particular, it's the first one that we read in the parable of the hidden treasure. But this man, as he finds the hidden treasure and he goes and sells all, he doesn't do it grudgingly. He doesn't say, well, I don't really want to have to do this. I can't believe I'm going to be required to do this. But for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You know, treasure, the treasure man here did not mourn selling all. He counted it joy. And I would challenge you again, go read the book of Philippians. Not just Philippians 3 that we mentioned a moment ago, but, but anywhere in the book of Philippians, Paul is saying, I count it joy. I'm in prison, but I count it joy. When you find something of great value, you, you're willing to find the value, you're willing to make sacrifice, and you have joy in whatever it costs because of how important it is to you. Those are just three simple similarities, but we notice as well that there is a big difference here. And maybe this is part of what Jesus is trying to drive home as he's trying to talk about the parable here. I don't know that it's the main point, but it's certainly worth noting here that the difference is in how discovery was made. How the discovery was made. Let's think first of all about the, the one who is thinking about the hidden treasure in verse number 44. It seems that his discovery was made by chance. It says that the, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man finds. So maybe he's not out searching for buried or hidden treasure, but he happens upon it. There's some people who find sometimes the kingdom of heaven, the gospel, the truth by chance. Do you remember in John chapter 1, there was Nathaniel. In John chapter 1, we read about Philip and Nathaniel. Philip sees Jesus. Jesus says, follow me in verse 43 of John 1. Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. Nathaniel questions those things. He's not actively seeking, but by chance, Philip comes and gets him. And we notice there in verses 47 through 49, and even in verse 49, that Nathaniel realizes what he has found. And he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. But it's not because he was actively seeking that, but by chance. We go over just maybe a page or two in your Bible in John chapter 4 and you think about the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. She was not actively seeking Jesus, but yet here Jesus comes along and by chance she has an encounter with the Savior. What about Acts chapter 9? Oh, Saul of Tarsus. Was Saul looking for Jesus on that road to Damascus? 
No, but by chance he meets Jesus. Maybe not exactly by chance, you might say, but, but he meets Jesus, and then he's going to go and, and do what he must do, be told what he must do. What about the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16? Again, he's got these prisoners. There's some hubbub around them. Everyone seems to know what's going on, but because of the earthquake, he asked that great question, Sirs, what must I do? To be saved because he recognizes somewhat by chance what's going on he then asked the question the discovery of the hidden treasure was made by chance it seems like that happens to some people maybe it happened to you did you find the value make the sacrifice and have the joy maybe maybe not some people though as we think about the pearl of great price discover by searching Do you recall there in verse number 45 that it says that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking? Some people are seeking the truth. You know, in 2021, that's still true. People who see the devastation around us, who worry about so many things, are seeking truth. They're seeking salvation. We think about the gospel according to John. Again, John chapter 3, Nicodemus. Nicodemus is seeking He's seeking so much that he comes to Jesus by night. But he's seeking Jesus. Or what about the Ethiopian nobleman in Acts chapter 8? You remember that man? He had been to Jerusalem to worship. And yet as he is traveling home, just like most of us, when we leave a Bible camp or we leave some type of retreat and we're excited, he leaves and he's still reading. He's reading Isaiah. He's searching for the Christ. He's searching for truth. Some people discover by chance. Some people discover by searching. But the difference between these two parables seems to be in how discovery was made. But the point, the main point that I think that we can take from it this morning, that I would would leave you with this morning as we think about these thoughts is the idea that the kingdom of heaven is worth selling out for. Both of those guys, both of those men, those folks there in these parables, sold all. It is worth that much. You think about the fact we say, well, why or how is it worth that much? Think about its preparation. Do you remember in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, that Paul would tell those in Ephesus that the church, that the idea that the wisdom of God is made known according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord eternal purpose the preparation was there we think about galatians 4 4 that when the fullness of time had come god had made preparation he knew exactly when the time was right the kingdom of heaven is of great value of worth selling out before because of its preparation even as robert talked for us just a moment about the prophecies concerning jesus think about the prophecies of the church isaiah daniel joel they all are pointing towards acts chapter 2 and the establishment of the kingdom of the church its preparation is there it goes back and we can see it and be thankful for it and it reminds us that it was not something god just thought up out of the blue some people say that. They say that, that when the Jews crucified Jesus, that God had to shrug his shoulders and say, well, didn't expect that. What are we going to do now? Paul sets that aside, that argument aside, when he says it was according to his eternal purpose. We think about the fullness of time. We think about the church. We think about the fact that because of its preparation, that's how much it is worth to God. And it should be worth that much to us. Not only because of its preparation, but because of its cost. 
John 3, 16. The world quotes it, but do they understand the meaning? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28. That Jesus purchased the church of God with his own blood. I even think about Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. God spared not his own son. You, you know we use that phrase still, right? We still talk about that. Someone builds a house. We say, well, they spared no cost. You know, that they spent all their money, everything they had to build this house or to buy this purchase or whatever it might be. God spared not his own son. The kingdom is of great value. The kingdom is worth selling out for because of its preparation by God, because of its cost and costing him his own son and Jesus his own blood. What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sell? The value of the kingdom is worth more than anything this world has to offer. The value of the kingdom is worth so much more than anything this world has to offer. It's worth more than any moment. It's worth more than any pleasure. It's worth more than any drink or drug. It's worth more than any relationship. It's worth more than any fishing trip or golf trip or vacation. It's worth more than any job or salary. It's worth more than anything here on this earth. Jesus hammers that point home. Matthew chapter 16, verses 26 through 28. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What is it worth to you? Do you recognize the value in the kingdom of heaven and forsake all and sell all so that you may obtain it? That's how important it is. As we conclude our thoughts this morning, we think about this idea that for those of us who are in the kingdom, let us in the kingdom realize its worth and love it and serve it with all of our being. Let us be alert for those who are seeking even as we talked about before with the parable of the lost son, the older brother seems to be wanting to ignore the younger, not caring where he is or what's going on. He had his chance. He messed up. Sorry. We said we don't need to be so self-righteous, but we need to be alert looking for those who are seeking after the kingdom as this merchant was who was seeking beautiful pearls. And I would leave you with one challenge. Not only those two things, but let us make it visible and desirable to those who might be seeking. Let people look at us and say, I want that. I want whatever they have. I want to be a part of that. It's not just the hypocrisy thing that we sometimes focus on, but sometimes it's other things that people look at us and they say, well, if that's what being a Christian is, I certainly don't want any part of that. Let us love the kingdom, serve the kingdom, let us realize its worth and be alert for those who are seeking, but even let us challenge ourselves each and every day to make it visible, to make it synonymous with who we are. People cannot separate us from who we are as Christians, followers of Christ, servants of God, and let us make it desirable to others, that they would see that in us and want to know more, that they would begin then to seek out that valuable thing. What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sell? 
As we conclude this lesson this morning, maybe you have never put on Christ in baptism. You need to do that this morning. You need to do that so that you can have your sins washed away by His blood, that the Lord can add you to His church that He purchased, that Jesus purchased with His blood, the blood that can wash away our sins. We're thankful for that opportunity. We're thankful that the time and opportunity exists this morning, that you could come forward here to the front, make it known, make a good confession, even before those gathered here, and put on Christ in baptism, recognizing the value in the kingdom and selling all to obtain, to obtain being a part of that kingdom. Maybe you're here this morning and you've done that in times past, but you've, maybe you've forgotten the value. You ever forgotten the value of something that you had? You go back later and you find it and you realize maybe how much it's worth. Maybe you've forgotten the value of the kingdom. Maybe you're not living in such a way that others would see you and desire to live like that. We will be singing to encourage you as well, that you would make a change in your life, that you would come back to him, repent of any sin, and if it's of a public fashion, again, you can come forward and one of our elders will be here that they can, can talk with you and pray with you and for you. We're thankful for the opportunity to either become a Christian or come back to him. We're thankful for an opportunity to pray with you this morning, even now as we stand together and as we sing.